Hello. Okay. I'm Alex. I'm the guy wait. who's putting all this stuff together. Wait a minute. Yeah, you can, <laughs> I guess you can say that. Right, so, here's your brief. Okay. Oh, we're recording now. Yeah, we are. Okay. Here's the format of the show. So, you, when you start, you say, today we're getting better acquainted with, and then you say the person. Okay. The first two questions are, how did I meet you, and, or they meet you, and what do you do now? Okay. At approximately 55 minutes, and this is completely up to you because it depends if you want it to run long, like mm -hmm. the one we just did, mm -hmm. I, let, I let run long. But at approximately 55 minutes is when you ask, do you have anything you want to plug? Okay. You have responsibility for the mic, so you can move it around, do whatever you like. You will be able to hear it through the headphones. And you are completely responsible for leading and structuring the conversation. Got you. You decide on the topics. Okay. Often I say at the end, it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you, but I forgot to do that in your one just now, but it was. And uh, <laughs> you asked me to say goodbye to the audience. You could cut it short if you wanted to. It's really your decision. So here okay. are the headphones with... <laughs> Changing of the guard. And you will now experience what I've been experiencing in the interview that we've just recorded, I guess. Right, okay. <sighs> <clears throat> Right, what do I start with? I just gave you a brief, <laughs> right? You should have paid more attention. If you, what, what, who are you? What do you do? Ah, okay, I think I got it. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Hello, listeners. Welcome to a very special episode of Getting Better Acquainted with me, your guest host, Alex. Today I'm going to be interviewing a man <laughs> <laughs> by, the, by the name of David Pickering, dear old friend of mine. Uh, so, let's begin. David, what do you do? I always have a lot of social anxiety about this question when I'm asked it at parties. One of the reasons I put it into my show is because I wanted to give people kind of context for the person they're going to be listening to afterwards and it's kind of a good shorthand. Mm -hmm. The reason I have social anxiety is because I want to say I'm a writer or I want to say I'm, well, it's even worse than that, even more pretentious, I want to say I'm a creative person who does all of these lots of different things. I guess an artist is what I would say. Although when you say you're an artist, people think you paint. But that's what I would want to say. That's the primary thing that I think I am and I do. And I do it all the time, even when, you know, living is, is, is the same as making art, isn't it? So, I mean, you know, it's all, all oh God, I'm sounding ridiculous already. Wow, this is how I must feel to be other people. What I do for a job at the moment is I'm an early years library outreach worker, which means I do story and song sessions with children under five on behalf of the library service. Got a bit practised at that these days. That I don't mind saying at parties. Used to be really annoying at parties because you'd have to say I'm a library assistant. That's what I've really done in my working life. But I, I don't mind this early years library outreach worker thing because it sounds weird and it's interesting. It's, I don't mind talking to people about it at parties. I didn't like to talk to them about shelving books, but I'm quite happy to talk about doing something really important for the community. Mm -hmm. Do you think you have an inbuilt genetic preference for helping people with art? That's a really interesting question. 
for helping people with art? Well, I mean, I suppose in my job, that's kind of how I look at it. Like, I mean, I'm there to kind of improve their experience of music and improve their making of it. Do you feel like when you're entertaining young kids that you've got a natural sort of feel for helping them express, well, helping them learn about the world through song and stories? I guess so. It's interesting. The thing I think makes me, where I'm good at my job, and I, I think I am quite good at my job, where I'm good at it is the fact that I think I have a natural affinity for connecting with people. Mm. So I don't always do it well <laughs> in my personal life, but I, I'm, I'm very aware of audiences mm. when I'm performing. And I like to try and make it very personal between me and the audience. So even if I'm writing and I'm in a room writing, the thing I'm writing, I'm always trying to communicate that to the audience. and. When I'm on stage, I'm obviously much more personally able to directly look at them, and I'm I've I've studied theatre, and I'm naturally this way inclined. And in a group, I am really good at I look at all of the different children, I involve all of the different children. I'm really aware of where the tension points are, where people are fidget where where you know because they're, they're children under five so where they're fidgeting i know who the fidgeting people are and i'm also got all of the parents in the room with me mm -hmm. and i'm aware i'm playing to two different audiences i'm playing to two different levels and i think i'm really good at being in the moment i like being in the moment best mm. because because there's no self doubt there you just you you do the thing or you don't do the thing and so you, you're stuck. You just have to be there, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm good at doing. I'm good at being there and connecting with them and trying to engage them with the art side of it, I guess. But it's not my art. I'm. I'm not reading my art. I'm not singing my songs. So there is a level of detachment there that isn't there in the stuff I normally do. Mm. But it's interesting what you say about genetics. If I'm genetically predisposed towards this, because I, my mum is a, was a social worker and a nurse. And I now work in that kind of area. I, I part of my job is there's a social element, social work element to it. I'm engaging with the community and trying to help people in often very disadvantaged areas to engage with their children and their children's literacy and their children's artistic development and emotional development and that sort of thing. And my mum also is a painter. She's a an artist as well. My dad is a writer and he works in documentary filmmaking so there's definitely on both sides of my parenting a streak of art and also on my mum's side a streak of social connection. My dad's very political as well so there's I get a social conscience in a different way from his political way of looking at the world that I kind of grew up with. Mm. I don't know if it's nature or nurture but I think there is definitely a genetic element to the skills I have within my working life and within my real working life, which is creating stuff outside of work. Yeah. How did we meet? How did I meet you? How did you meet me? Well... We've already done this. We've done... We, it's it's always weird on the second... I've done two with a few people and it's, yeah, it's the same answer, I guess. We met at school in Cardiff. Well, we met because of school in Cardiff. 
and I think it's really interesting that the first conversation that we had was about art mm. and we haven't really stopped and it was about art and society and I don't think we've stopped having that conversation we've been having a 15 year conversation about art and society really mm -hmm. it's been very valuable to me it's changed a lot of the ways I think and it's shaped a lot of the ways I think yeah me too yeah the name David yeah comes from the Hebrew mm -hmm. and it means beloved yeah so I and hear heroic do you ever feel any pressure to live up to your namesake what King David well <laughs> yeah partially but maybe at one point King David but far far back in history but like did your parents name you after someone who they really liked I don't think so I, I don't know if they were thinking because they're not religious mm. they're not they're not Jewish and they're not Christian <laughs> so I don't know if the biblical connotations would have had much of an influence on their decision I suspect, like most parents, they just like the name. The way I feel about my name, I mean, I call myself Dave rather than David. Mm -hmm. I don't really know why. I think it's a bit like wearing glasses. It just reduces the intensity. Dave's a bit more cuddly. David is a bit more kind of like you say, like it's a kind of it's a bit more of a high status name. I don't, I don't like that because okay. it puts too much pressure. <laughs> when I, when I always heard the biblical stories about. David and Goliath and King David after that I always kind of you know like you do he's got the same name as me so you identify with him more and mm. the whole David versus Goliath myth appealed to me greatly because you know he, he outwits a big tough guy by using his brains and that that's one of the romantic ways that I would like my, my, my life's narrative to be. <laughs> I'm now older and have less of the belief in my own ability to be heroic that I may have had when I was a kid. But heroism, weirdly, certainly was something I was obsessed with when I was a kid. I was really into the Lord of the Rings. I was really into Greek mythology and uh, Norse mythology and the idea of heroes... But I liked the mythology and the Lord of the Rings as well because they were compromised heroes. They were like David and David and Goliath. They were hobbits or they were flawed because they, you know, they were they, that, that flawed heroes. I like and still do and try and occasionally write them, although it's a hard thing to write. I think a person who actually comes across to an audience is heroic it's hard to do mm -hmm. I, I often decide to make anti-heroes instead because you can kind of show how people could be heroic but without seeming like you're preaching as much but yeah I don't think they thought about it and I don't think that I've thought about it much oh the other thing I like about David is St David having lived in Wales for a lot of my life and being English yeah. it was nice that my name at least had some connection to the country that I felt most affinity to certainly growing up but probably still now okay all right I'll just consult my uh, list of questions here you might find some of them a bit weird that's that's absolutely fine I'm liking the fact that I don't know what's coming it's really exciting what would you say 
is the principal aspect of your personality? The principal aspect of my personality? Yeah. Fucking hell. Um, what? <laughs> Sorry if these are... No, 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 no. It's, it's good. It's good. Before you came down, I just looked on the internet for loads of questions because I couldn't think of any. But I've, I've, I've thought of a few of myself, but I was just like, I'll just find as many questions as I can. So uh, this one came up. The principal element of my personality. What do, what do we mean? Do we mean the str the strongest? Yeah, like the one that comes across to most people. The so one that comes across to most people. Yeah, like the one that I think it's. The, I think okay, it's the okay. Well, I th I would imagine that the element of my personality that comes across the most to other people and to yourself. Well, to other people, it's probably intensity. It's not something I am happy about in some ways. It's not. It's not how I would. If I was to design my personality from scratch, I probably would have turned down the intensity uh, a lot. But it's something I've got. It's mm -hmm. something I am. And now I've got to the point where I kind of embrace who I am and my see my see my flaws as potential strengths as well and my strengths as potential weaknesses and try and be a bit more realistic about everything. I don't think it's a flaw at all. I mean, I think it's a really good defining aspect to have. Since I started teaching, I've noticed that most people, when they first describe me for whatever that reason, they say chilled out. Really? Yeah, which is interesting. But is that it's students that say that? Yeah, and teachers. Because I used to think it was melancholy. I used to think it was uh, something just, you know, like that. So I, 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 I envy your intensity. You might say. So don't don't think it's, it's such a bad thing. Well, I quite. I mean, I know what they mean about chilled out. It's not how I would describe you. But then <laughs> I know you in a very different context. But I mean, I guess that element of you that is able to be a bit detached. I kind of envy because it's quite hard to never be able to detach yourself from a situation mm -hmm. like like I find this in conversations like sometimes I'm trying to say something nice but people take it so the wrong way because I'm just saying it so intensely like the, the other day somebody I know was talking about an idea they had for a show that they might do in Edinburgh this person isn't someone who's in theatre this is someone who's a, an, an older man who is just casually thinking about this, right? It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not something he has any experience in. It's just an idea he's got, and okay. I was trying to encourage this idea, trying to say, "All oh, right, here's an idea. Let's let's get stuck in. Where's the problems? Where's the things that we could do? You're going to need to think about health and safety, about this element, and if you really think that this element's really important, you need to build your whole show around that because otherwise, you may get to the end and, and not be able to put it in. You know, things like this. And the temperature in the room and the conversation changed. You know, everybody was trying to stop me from talking because and he was getting quite defensive about it and I was trying to and the more and more that this was going on the more I was trying to became more important for me to say what I was trying to say and not have other people make it something else you know and, and, and the more I tried to make it what I was trying to say the more that everyone in the room started thinking I was and, and he even used I think he used the word discouraging that I was discouraging him whereas 
from my view, I was supporting him. And, and afterwards, Jen, Jen said to me, well, I know that you were trying to encourage him, but it was just a casual thought he had. And now it's on the table, and now you're picking it apart. And then you're like saying, "Oh, you need to, you know, his." And you know, he hasn't thought about this stuff. He's getting loads of things thrown at him. And and I, you know, and when she said that, I completely understand why why everybody misread my intentions, because the intensity that can come into it, yeah, you know, does that. And I'm sure that that I mean, that's probably even happened in. Mm. I would imagine that's happened in our friendship that mm. that you just said something casually, and the next thing you're like, "Oh, why the." fuck did I say that because now I'm in this big long conversation I mean I think it I think uh, you're I think one of your other defining characteristics is probably committedness and whenever anyone has an idea with you you interrogate it properly and you you but you you never quite like it's you never quite take on an idea not wholeheartedly if you know what I mean like you never say to some someone says to you la 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 and you don't go like yeah maybe whatever like I do you know you always go either you're either a bit standoffish about it or you really get into the idea and sometimes you're a bit standoffish about an idea and you really get into it and then it becomes much much more consuming passion later on you always take that big leap of commitment it's like fall in love now <laughs> something like that <laughs> If, you, if it's, it's got to be love right right this moment, you know, which I think people may find a bit overpowering, but I've always liked it. Maybe like sometimes, you know, when we're writing a song together and I go, well, what about this melody? And you go like, no, nope, don't like it. Um, but I, you, I don't, you I don't do feel that like, too. I do, I do it as well, but you, but you get more, you interrogate it more and you get more intense about it. I suppose what I'm saying is like, uh, if anyone brings anything to you, like when I first brought Echo to you, you were like, you slightly turned your nose up against it, or you were slightly, slightly um, or when I brought content to you, well, and and you were like, well, it wasn't hardly developed, and you totally helped me develop it. But yeah. you were like, oh, and you, then you just you just laid into it in a, in a in a positive way. You do a lot of positive laying into things, I think. And uh, a lot of constructive laying into things. Well, I think you're always sincere, aren't you? That's the, the thing. Where no matter how intense it is, it always comes across as sincere. Uh, but that's the problem. If you if you come across as sincere and it's negative, then that can really upset people sometimes. It puts a bit more charge to a criticism that I might give than would be to somebody who didn't seem so sincere. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it's just if I don't like you, like you say, you you say when I that you should sample me saying fuck off, because I say it so aggressively and like commit to the swearing. Sometimes it's about really mild things, it's, and it's like a you know I, you know I recently realised you know that that's yeah it, it, it's it's just it's more shocking than I think it is because I just think it's a throwaway swear word, but people go whoa, <laughs> suddenly there's kind of a sense of violence in the room. <laughs> And you know that's just the way it is. I was watching an interesting documentary last night about something called the warrior gene. Apparently, there's this gene in our genome that is, if you have a shortened version of it, you're more likely to lose your temper and you're more likely to get into fights and stuff like that. It's not all totally across the board. Mm. Like there's Buddhist monks with this gene and stuff, and there's mixed martial arts fighters who don't have it, or there's these really hard gang members that don't seem to have this gene. So it's quite a weird one. A theme of this series, really, because I'm making it, is about 
trying to deal with your kind of genetic predispositions and my mum is a very intense person and she can get very angry and I'm a very intense person and I can get very angry and her mum I don't know if how intense she was but she can get very angry and it's just something that that I have to kind of come to deal with I think that generally speaking I filter it quite well mm. like I use it hopefully in the best possible way mm. but it's definitely a gene whether it's a warrior one or not that I have to try and come to terms with and try and find ways of not getting angry with people I mean I'm quite good in that only a few people in a small sphere of my friends have had to deal with me being really angry they're my closest friends generally so you've you've known me be very angry Jen has all of my family have sometimes but I'm I think I'm I mean part of it is in my family in some ways I'm I've held back you know I've, I've tried to be a moderator I've tried to be a peacemaker but having that anger at the back of my mind and then taking it out on people who have no business being involved in being shouted at. You just defer it a lot. I mean, at school, that was part of the reason I got bullied so much is because I would get really angry with the people who were bullying me. Mm. And they love that. They fucking love that. That's yeah. their, that's their, that's what they want. You're giving them exactly what they want yeah. Yeah. if you do that. But that was because I wasn't getting angry at home. So, I, I you know, the anger comes out somewhere. And mm. you, I mean, it's. I I think it's a really continual task to try and find a way of uh, controlling it. I mean, I've been thinking more and more about kind of cognitive behavioural therapy, trying to catch myself before the moment. If I'm getting angry, I have somewhere in my brain an objective thing saying you're getting angry because you've got this genetic thing and you've got to just look move away don't do this you know mm. step back you'll regret it later you're only going to be feeling miserable because you've done this you know just sort yourself out but I mean it can be a useful power as well can't it anger can be a tool I think that said, said the clash and I was something I've always really liked in you just in general conversation where you'll be like talking about a film and I'll be like I don't really like this film very much and then you'll go shit <laughs> really crap and you'll just give a really passionate kind of like devastation of it and I really enjoy your yeah passion's in, fine in, in that way no, but it's, but it's, but it's, it's the same place it comes from yeah. the same place but it's got to be I mean it's it, it, I mean it's like what you say anger is a tool can be a tool so you've got to use it right you've got to learn how to use that tool and make sure that you're not using it against people who can't deal with it to, to make sure you're not using it against yourself because I'd say the person who suffered the most at the hands of my anger over my life has been me mm -hmm. you know you've got to learn how to use that tool and make sure that you're you're not using a sledgehammer to bang in a nail that's always been my flaw I, I, I tend to end up being the sledgehammer that's banging in a, a nail rather than a small little hammer you know if you could have a room full of any one thing what would it be I don't think I would be satisfied with any room that only had one thing in it. But it could just be full of anything. If I was a genie and I was going to give you Can a Can I room. come in and out of this room? 
or do I have it's, to it's, live all it, my yeah. life in this room with these things? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's it's like no, of course, yeah. It's just it's um it's a room like any other room. It's just full of anything that you want, and you can and but it's only one thing, and you can go there and leave there anytime you like. It's just an addition to your life. It's not putting you in a room with only only just one thing. Can it be a kind of existential? Like, maybe. If I, could, if I had a room where if I went into that room, I felt calm, that would be what I would like. A room where I could go and guarantee, doesn't matter how I feel before I go into that room, I'm going to be calm so, and uh, peaceful. A room full of force fields that change your mental, mental state maybe whatever you have to if you if it has to be real then yeah that's the I guess the only way to do it but it's really about like just because i mean it, in a way what we've been talking about is the fact that i'm really there in a moment a lot of the time and i'm, I'm really there and it's really on and, uh, and you know because of that i have a always have a a craving to be turned off hmm. for the off switch I think there's a there's a line in a Tennessee Williams play, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, where the character Brick talks about drinking whiskey to the point where he gets a click in his head that makes him peaceful. Hmm. I played, I acted that part in A level drama, and you know, obviously he's an alcoholic. It's not a positive thing, <laughs> but 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 I I empathised with that desire for a click in my head to make me peaceful. And I find my ways of doing that, I guess, in my life, where I can. Okay. And if I said to you, it has to be a physical object that exists in the real world now, what would it be? Well, <sighs> practically, money. Because whilst I'm ideologically opposed to money, it would help me out a hell of a lot, and I would just be able to do what the hell I liked. And I could, you know, I wouldn't. Ha I, I love my job, but I wouldn't have to do a job at all. And uh, I think if I had the choice, and if I didn't have to do something to make me money, I would stop doing that job because I work so hard on my other stuff. It's not like I don't work. Room full of gold. Yeah, I guess gold or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Cheese. I like cheese. <laughs> Uh, 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 uh. Who was the last person you punched? It's an interesting question. I don't think I've ever punched anyone in anger. So, and this is going to sound really bad. So, if we're talking about who was the last person that I did the action of forming my fist, in, my hand into a fist, and banging it into somebody else, then probably Jen. <laughs> probably did it yesterday but I do it all the time but I don't hit her hard uh, <laughs> just affectionate just affectionate kind of punch in the arm yeah. or just you know I do that to my mates a lot I can, I can I get quite a, physical I think that's an important thing for a man to do to a woman <laughs> well I think to yeah, other men a, I think it, it, it's way, a way of communicating it's, it's a way of connecting with somebody else Yeah. just that physical bump thing yeah, um, but Actually, punching someone, 
I don't recall ever punching someone. Like at school, I, I, I did a few things to people that hurt them, but they were always in an attempt not to punch them. If people listen to the Cardiff episode, they can hear that those stories. And uh, you've heard them all before. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't think I've ever punched anyone like that. I, maybe I must have done when I was a kid. Actually, I remember... Oh, fuck. I remember... I remember going down... Right, in my primary school in Coventry, there was a big field where we all played on, and slightly silly planning, it kind of curved down in a hill at mm-hmm. the end. So if you went right round by the hedges, you couldn't be seen by the teachers. So me and a kid called Tom, for a few weeks, would go down to the hedges, I must have been about nine, and just beat the shit out of each other. Just break time, just a whole lot of break time, just punching each other and it was kind of a it was a mucky fight but there was a level of it was a bit it was like a cross between the mucky fight and fight club mm. but then we just stopped doing it because i think one of us hurt the other one too much and it was upsetting and you know that's how that's how people learn not to be violent i guess to yeah. to, to, to explore it when they're they're children so I, I must have punched people when i was a kid i think it was more of probably more of a hair puller or biter or scratcher i'm pretty vicious when if i of if I'm not, you know, being a person who governs my behaviour, mm-hmm. and when you know, when you're a kid, you're just a wa- walking id, aren't you? So mm. I probably was the one who would be a bit more brutal about it, but I stopped that pretty. As an adult, I don't remember punching anyone, okay. and even as a teenager, I don't remember it. Could have done it. Could have done. It. I don't remember it. Okay. If you could dress up as one female pop star, who would it be? Fuck, okay. Do I get their body too? No. Well... So I, I've got to be a man dressed up as this female pop star? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I, Jesus. I mean, there's a bunch of female pop stars I'd like to, like, inhabit the body of. Well, uh, but that's we all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Katie Lang, because then I wouldn't have to be particularly f- female in my appearance. I like a little bit of glitter and glam in in the way I present my masculinity sometimes, but I don't have a desire to be in a boob tube with a male body. <laughs> I'm fair play to uh, transvestites, cool, but I'm not into it. Okay. I think I'll go for Sinead O'Connor. She's a good choice as well, for similar reason to Katie Lang in it. And Sinead O'Connor's cooler. But you, you look like Sinead O'Connor though, Alex. So. Yeah. <laughs> Which historical character do you hate the most? In the heat of the moment, I hate a lot of people. But in consideration... I don't hate any human beings, personality, who they are. I hate what they do. I hate their actions. But I don't think it's helpful to put someone up onto a kind of inverse pedestal of being some kind of the worst example of humanity. Because it makes, it suggests, it's a bit like your Neanderthal thing. It suggests that they're separate from us. 
It suggests that they are somehow a different species that have no connection to us and that we could never do that. So I, I, I wouldn't say I hate Hitler, Hitler for example. I, I've done research into him when I was writing about him when I was a teenager. And, you know, he was just a messed up child that had a really, really fucking horrible childhood and was a a failed artist and all of these things that we can all sympathize with if he hadn't, he hadn't carried on to become a holocaust uh creator or one of the one of the architects of the holocaust we'd all feel sympathy for him you could make a film of hitler's life and not call him hitler and just end it when he was a failed artist on the streets of vienna and and people would be crying right but as soon as you say hitler then whoa whoa you can't love anything or feel anything about his life I have less sim sympathy for Thatcher because she had an easier life and she was pretty fucking vile to uh, this country and that has a personal connection to me because it's the country I live in and it was when we were growing up she was fucking it good and proper mm -hmm. but I can't even say I hate Thatcher you know I, I don't ha I hate I hate Thatcherism I hate what Thatcher did and I hate Nazism I mean and you go further back it's even harder to hate them because it's completely culturally different the, 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 you know Genghis Khan you know well you know fuck that was just the way that everyone thought no one even like there was no even idea that, I mean you know the, 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 the when 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 we massacred the Native American Indians when you know us and the Dutch and the French fucked them over and the Spanish fucked them over that was culturally a different attitude like it's really problematic for me people like Thatcher people now people when we got to a level where we have knowledge about people to the extent where we should be able to understand empathy properly that's the problem that so more recent historical figures I have more problem with because I just think they've they've been exposed to the same information as me and they've made the wrong choices but I still don't hate them they're still people I mean that's yeah that's the answer really no no one no one okay which may, which sounds really worthy and I don't don't <laughs> want it to sound worthy but it's just you can't change the truth because you don't want to sound worthy good quote <laughs> what are your favourite qualities in a woman my favourite qualities in a woman are probably exactly the same as my favourite qualities in a man it's just I'm more likely to want to sleep with a woman than with a man. Kindness, originality, empathy, a sense of humour and a sense of fun. And I guess, you know, just knowing that it's not arrogant, I'm not against arrogance as such because everyone's got a bit of that in them, but not thinking they're better than other people on a basic level, not in the moment, we all think we're better than other people in the moment, but there are some people who think they're better than other people full stop mm. and that is really repellent, so whatever the opposite of that is, I really like. And, you know, physically, in terms of qualities, I mean, 
blonde hair. Well, no, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm attracted to such a variety of different appearances, but I'm very fussy, as you know, and we always get into arguments about whether someone's attractive or not. Do you feel lucky to have experienced your hero's work? Or do you think that someone else would have done something just as good in different circumstances anyway? What do you mean? You mean, do I feel lucky to have heard and seen and read the great works of art that people have done mm -hmm. that I really believe in? Yes, I feel lucky about that. That's that's a great privilege to be exposed to things that fascinate you and engage you and move you and uh, inspire you. Do I think other people would have done stuff just as good, good. if the heroes didn't exist? Yeah. Yes, but then there would be different heroes. There are a million lights in the sky. <laughs> those heroes are better realised they're just one of those lights too. But there's so much good stuff out there that if I hadn't read or seen or heard the stuff for the people I've heard, then I would have seen something else that's inspiring. People inspire me in just in conversation. They don't just have to be artists. That's one of the things I've reminded myself and really investigated through this project. The world is itself inspiring. So even if I was in a world where there was no artists at all and it was just me on my own, I would find in things that were engaging and moving and powerful just in the, in nature. Mm. I saw a documentary the other day about chimpanzees and this one scientist said that he believed that he'd seen a chimpanzee and videotaped a chimpanzee having a spiritual reaction to something. Mm. It was a storm brewing or something like that and he just caught on camera this chimpanzee just jumping about and getting into this weird trance-like state for no other reason than that the clouds were forming and it was about to rain. He'd observed this on a number of occasions and then he videotaped it and he was going like, what is this chimpanzee doing? You know, how do we explain that? One thing I wonder about sometimes is, what's all the art in the world that hasn't been made? When we look at the work of great artists, they're usually quite aristocratic and they're quite lucky in a lot of ways. So maybe of all the great art that we could have produced over the centuries, maybe we only get like a really small percentage of it. And one of the conversations we had as kids was I said, Oasis are a great band, they're destined to be a great band, it's not just luck, it's that they've got this inherent ability in them, and that's why, that's why it happened to them. And you said something along the lines of, no, that's just the image, there's probably some guy on a hill in Russia somewhere who's written this fantastic song mm. that you'll never get to hear because he hasn't had the opportunity. Well, I, I definitely still agree with that. In fact, I agree with that more and more the older I get. So much about art is luck, as well as skill and talent and all those things. People who we really admire were just lucky and they were in the right place at the right time, and then they got to a point where, because of their luck, they could interrogate their art to a greater degree because they had more resources, more opportunity to collaborate with people, an ability to find other like-minded people easier because they were having a degree of success to start with. And I look around at my friends and the art that they produce, and I think I'm quite objective about this stuff. I know it's hard to be completely objective about your friends or your family and what they make, but certainly I don't like everything my friends do. But some of that stuff is definitely as good 
as the stuff that's successful. A lot of people would say, well, yeah, but they didn't have the thing in them that made them persevere. They don't necessarily have the thing that's making them push because it isn't just luck. It's also tenacity. But I can't say that I am an untenacious person. I'm very tenacious whatever the word is I'm always trying to get my shit out there to people and I'm always pushing but I don't think that that means it will guarantee my success and I don't even know if I am interested in success in the same way anymore anyway I'm quite happy if I just get to do this series and uh, it gets out to a hundred people or whatever a week then that's fine I mean that's an audience and it makes me happy and creatively fulfilled and it makes them happy and creatively interested and so what, what more can you want? I mean, obviously more audience, but I mean, at the end of the day, if I don't get it, I don't mind so much. But I mean, coming back to the less about me and more about artists in general, I just think that, yeah, there are so many great people out there. There are so many tenacious people out there. It's just very rare that one of them is lucky. The more opportunities we have for everyone to make art and the more leisure we have in our lives to enable us to be able to make art the more great art is being made the more human beings are expressing themselves and that does put us in a situation where how can any of those become as successful universally as in the past that now we can all use the internet to get out there then in a way it means that we're going to just have reduced audiences but that's not a bad thing because human beings are all in equally interesting in well not equally interesting but potentially as interesting as each other and so it's great that there's all these people making this stuff what i don't like is that it's not the stuff that is being pushed and sold to us often mm -hmm. i could deal with the fact that loads of artists who are great will never become successful if the artists who were successful were all great but so many of them are not great mm. that's what's frustrating it's frustrating when you see someone who is mediocre but because of the media system behind them because of the promotional system behind them they will become very successful financially very successful in terms of reach and that there's all of these much better people who aren't getting out there to people but you can't bang your head against that forever you know you just have to accept that I mean in lots of ways society as we have it is unsustainable anyway so I mean you know really getting enraged by elements of where we're at now is is, is, is a real waste of effort I often think because we don't even know where we're going to be in 10 years we don't know what art is going to be what society is going to be but I mean yeah it still pisses me off on a similar note if you could get rid of all the songs from a particular singer who would you delete and why? Well, if I had the power to do it, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I like that response. I, I love to, to talk about how much I hate individual singers but, and artists, and, but that's not fair. I'm not, I'm not pro censorship. If I could delete promotional companies maybe I would do that more I mean maybe I would want to get rid of Simon Cowell I would prefer to get rid of than Leona Lewis mm. because Leona Lewis might be a really great singer if, he, if Simon Cowell wasn't around moulding her into the image of what he thinks will sell 
the gatekeepers i'm not saying i don't think that there should be people promoting stuff and editing i think editors are a mate like as a writer i would love to have an editor because they they do a great job artists aren't very good at noticing all of the things they sometimes get too caught up in their work you need someone with an objective eye to take your work and to mold it and to help you and to and directors are the same you know all of these things they're great they're great roles so not all gatekeepers are bad the fact that they have become gatekeepers is the problem the fact that these roles have become barriers for interesting art getting out there i used to get really annoyed by robbie williams but you know, I heard him on this documentary with John Ronson where they went out looking for people who'd seen aliens. And I just thought, you know, actually, he's just like the rest of us. He's just trying to work it out. Sounds like a nice guy. I wouldn't mind going for a drink with him. Mm-hmm. It's like politicians, you know, you, you get really annoyed with them and then you sort of think, yeah, but if they weren't doing these terrible things to our public services, then they might be a nice person to go for a drink with. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, The Wire is the best example of this. The Wire TV series shows you that everybody within the system is just a human being struggling within that. That's the problem in music. It's, it's natural for humans to go, oh, that person is fucking annoying me. Like, I, I hate what they do. But, but I don't like fakers. They're the ones I don't like. You're just being true. If I want, you know, I just want more truth to be the objective of 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 people. <laughs> okay. Why don't you like mushrooms? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, well, it's interesting to me, uh, not necessarily to audiences, but I, I don't know why I don't like mushrooms. It's a real physical response to the texture and the taste that it just is really repellent to me. Mm. I accidentally ate a mushroom the other day. I thought it was like on a platter of different foods and I was like, oh, this thing that's got breadcrumbs around it, what's that? And I I bit into it and I was like, what the hell is this? Oh, is it scallops? And at first I thought, it's scallops. So it can't completely be the texture because initially I didn't, you know, I've I've eaten scallops, they're Mm. okay. (laughs) But at the same time as I bit into it, my mate said, that's a mushroom. And I don't know if then the physical reaction I had afterwards was because of the fact that he said the word mushroom or was because of the fact that the taste came a little bit later on in the experience of biting into the mushroom. I mean, it Mm. does, because you've got the breadcrumbs first, then you've got the texture, then you get hit with the taste. So I really don't know. I wish I did like mushrooms because everybody puts them in food. I hate picking them out and I don't like to be fussy about food because I like generally all food apart from mushrooms and uh, olives and also people often they, they give you mushrooms and like they're, they're really proud they don't really they know this, this they think they, they're giving you a really nice meal and for them it is it's a really nice meal it's like the equivalent of being given like some really nice meat or cheese for me like I, they, they, they think wow you know I'm giving them and you don't want to disappoint them you don't want them to mm-hmm. to have you know, shat in your pla- on your plate and served it to on you on your platter yeah but I mean that's what it's like a little bit for me it's disgusting I really, really don't like mushrooms. Uh, I don't know why. Because I used to hate baked beans up until about hmm, 10 years ago. We would never touch baked beans, and it's because we got forced to eat them in nursery school. No, I I mean, I don't think I was forced to eat them. I don't think that... I, I mean, I don't remember being forced to eat them. I mean, maybe it was that when we didn't like things, my mum didn't give them us. You know, sometimes you have to acquire a taste, don't you? And maybe I failed to acquire that taste, but... 
I acquired a lot of tastes in later life that I didn't have when I was a kid, and mm. mushrooms just not being one of them. And I have tried a lot of times. And just saying the word mushroom makes me feel a bit sick, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's just intense interview. <laughs> yeah, God. Yeah, no more mushroom questions, man. I can't <laughs> deal with them. <laughs> okay. Important question, though. Yeah. You have the choice to live with a gorilla who knows sign language yeah. or a dog who can sing lullabies. Which do you choose and why? Well, gorilla that knows sign language because if the dog's singing a lullaby and I don't want to hear that lullaby, then I can't stop the dog from making that sound because he can't communicate with me as a dog and he can't understand my... Assuming you could uh, you know, just tell the dog to be quiet, it was like any other dog that you could reasonably control. Ah, well, then a dog, because I like dogs. And I don't know if having a gorilla in my house would be a very uh, safe thing to be. I mean, I like gorillas. I'm not like prejudiced against gorillas, but they have they have a place, and it's not my house. And I don't understand sign language, so I couldn't communicate with the gorilla. I could, if I can communicate with the dog and tell the dog to shut up when it's annoying me, then uh, that's fine. And dogs, you know, they give you un unconditional love, and that's that's always a engagingly egotistical thing to experience as a, a human being. Okay. What do you think is the most overrated human virtue? Hmm. Hmm. Confidence. Confidence? Hmm. Why? Well, not because confidence is itself a bad virtue to have. It's a, it's a really, I'm really pleased for all these people who have it in abundance and I, I have it around certain areas of my life. But just that do you mean because it's kind of like a... It obscures everything else. So people just think, oh, that person's confident and they, they get more. So if someone is confident, they get more. Okay. And I don't think that that's enough of a criteria for them to get more. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is the kind of person who asks for their food to go back in a restaurant because they don't like it, then, they, you know, then they get the nice food and somebody else doesn't say it and they don't get the nice food and I, I think what needs to happen is for everyone to get the nice food to start with I, I mean that's a no, that, stupid that's, analogy but, but I mean do you mean it like in the kind of like public school confidence kind of way I guess it's yeah it is a class it is, it is a class thing it is definitely the, the, the if you are yeah if you're confident and you feel that you are entitled to stuff then you get more and that's not fair but it is a quality that everyone aspires to and everyone admires it. And, mm -hmm. you know, if someone is confident, then everyone you know, is in awe of them and, and, and all this stuff. And I mean confident. Like, the thing about me is I'm not confident. I'm insecure, and that makes me 
sometimes seem confident but there's an edge there's an edge to me and that won't get me what I want my kind of confidence doesn't get you what you want so I mean I can say oh yeah I'm like I, I find it really hard when people say if someone says they like something that I do I find it really hard not to say oh yeah I really like that too which is not <laughs> that doesn't come across as modest does it and then people don't like that. and modesty is quite an overrated quality as well I think modesty often means that the person is uh, is is not not being true with themselves or not being true with the other people I don't, yeah but confidence is is probably more overrated but I mean I don't That's a good one. but but again I mean these qualities in themselves are not a problem it's the way that they uh, function within society in the way that that I mean that's how I, it's like on a personal level my flaws are neutral they're not actual flaws they're just a quality and I can take them to a positive level or a a negative level and it, the confidence is the same you know there, there are lots of people who went to public school who are are aware of their privilege and if they are trying to get equality within society as well then that's fine you know the, 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 the divisions are just put there by society that's something I learned from going to university I guess and meeting people less complicatedly middle class mm. so <laughs> mm. I'm no longer of an age where I can just dismiss another class of person you know I now see the system as the problem again it's the game not the player well I think you've always said that really yes I've always said that but I've often then gone off on a massive rant I'm trying for my rants to be a little bit more ones I agree with when I hear them back okay did you know that Mother Teresa once had an exorcism no, I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> she did because she was plagued by a doubt about God and stuff. And she got a proper um, exorcist style exorcism late in her life. Well, there we go. <laughs> it's an interesting fact. Just imagine if you had like interview shows like that, where you know just famous people just came on and the the host just went, "Did you uh, did you know this thing?" You know, that'd be it. I, I'd watch that show. I think that's good for it. I think the same. What's the worst record you've ever made? It was called Illegal and Beautiful. It was a record that I made when I was in the most unhappy year of my life. The year before you told me that I'd lost my inspiration. i just finished university, I was doing a job I hated, I was very miserable, I was spending all of my time upstairs in my attic room in the shared house I was in, and I was trying to learn how to make music on my own, but I, had, I, I didn't have the confidence to try and use an instrument so I was making this music out of cut up bits of samples. It's very useful for me in terms of learning how to use the software but the music that I made was very experimental, inaccessible. I was very much within my own bubble when I made it so it was only kind of connecting with really me and I can't even listen back to it now, most of it. There's a couple of songs which are promising, but that's as far as they go. But yeah, they weren't songs, they were just messes of sound. That was the worst album I've made, definitely. Good title though. 
yeah, great title. Came from Henry Kissinger. Can't remember what he said it about, but I think it was about American foreign policy must be illegal and beautiful or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. It was from the uh, relations with uh, Indonesia, I think. Ah, uh, that's what you told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It probably was. I, I forget everything. People think I don't, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite Beatles song? The Beatles all together. Yeah, it's across the universe. A Beatles song, or a I think it is. Yeah, yeah across the universe. Then. Okay. If you were standing for Parliament, what would your slogan be? Well, I've often thought about the idea of kind of half-jokingly standing for Parliament. It would be sincere if I got elected, but the whole point would be to stand on the premise of we're all flawed human beings, I am one of you, I'm flawed also, we all can only do the best we can, and so basically if you let me, I'm going to try my best, but I'll make mistakes, but I'll be completely open about them and honest with you guys, and you can hold me to account as much as you like. But sometimes I'm going to ignore you if I think best, but only for a little bit of time. Just be the kind of politician and someone says, well, 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 did you think this? And then you go, oh, no, I hadn't thought about that, actually. Good point. Uh, actually, I'll change my policy now because I'm wrong. All these apologies that you get which are insincere and not true. I'd like to hear a politician say sorry, really. And, yeah. and, and, and one thing I find in, in, in conversations when I'm in an argument, something I enjoy doing, and so maybe it's not true, maybe I'm not really doing it because I just enjoy the response that it creates, but I enjoy just saying, oh no, sorry, I'm wrong, you're right, I've changed my mind. Mm. Like I do this on message boards sometimes, it really annoys people because they're like, they're just gearing up for a massive argument and I'm like, oh no, I see your point, good point. You know, I'm wrong, sorry, I'm, uh, I'm a human being like the rest of us. What I mean, I'm always a bit ridiculously kind of... It's just ridiculous to always be saying I'm a human being like the rest of us. Obviously, I am. It shows at a level of kind of arrogance beyond arrogance, like meta arrogance. I don't know, fucking ridiculous. You could say, it could be, I could be wrong. Yeah, I could be wrong. That would be a good thing to stand on. Yeah, yeah. You can be my publicist. Who would play you in a movie of your life? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean... Well, it's not an interesting question, but tragically and weirdly, it's a it's a question I've thought about <laughs> a lot. Um, okay, so there's, there's people I'd like to look like who don't look anything like me. So, Brad Pitt, I would like to look like, and he's a good actor. I don't know if he'd be right to play me. <laughs> and then there's people who I look like, but who I would not really want to be played by at all, like Hugh Fernley Whittenstall. I would like Michael Serra to play me as a teenager. Yeah, how about, you know, Michael Serra when I'm a teenager and then Brad Pitt when I'm an adult, that'd be alright. <laughs> alright. You'd have to, like, fuck up Brad Pitt's face a bit, but <laughs> that'd be worthwhile in some ways anyway. What in your short life thus far do you suspect you've forgotten? Well, as Phil Collins says, you know, I've forgotten everything. I don't trust any of my memories because I just think memory is too untrustworthy. So I'm not sure how many of my memories are misremembered, embellished, false memories. But the real problem with saying what have you forgotten in your life is that I can't remember anything that I've forgotten, can Mm. I? Well, that's a sad suspect. Well... Which is I mean, I've definitely that. forgotten being born. I've definitely forgotten <laughs> most of my early years of life. 
I've sure I've forgotten loads and loads of really great quotes, really good uh, ideas. And then, you know, with those sorts of things, you don't know, like with ideas, you don't know if maybe the idea you're having today is an idea you had 10 years ago that you've forgotten about that's just been waiting around in your subconscious and then just coming out of your mouth now. I remember plots quite well to stories and stuff like that. And I remember emotions quite well. In fact, I mean, I think actually I only really remember plots because I remember emotions really well. So I'm really good at remembering the emotion I felt when I was about this thing happening or that thing's happening. So I can often describe in detail some plots for books or whatever or films really, really well. But there will be films that I won't remember very well because I won't felt very much emotions when I was watching them. And I think that seems to be the areas that I forget. I I don't think I forgot. I think I I, I don't I don't know why I've forgotten, okay. but I think that. A lot. I think it's a lot. Okay. What do you think you should win an award for? What do you mean? What of my work so far to date deserves to win an award? Or what would I like to win an award for in the future? Or what about me is worth being given an award for? Like one all of, of the above. You can have three Fuck, awards right. if you want. <laughs> three. You can have. You can have a the. Okay. The best. Or okay. So in terms of my own work, I think this show is one of the best things I've ever done. It is the most natural fit to what I have on offer and I hope that it's also going to or can appeal to audiences I'd like to win an award for this show you heard it here first I'd like to podcast judges well I'm going to I'm probably going to pay the money that you have to pay to submit stuff to awards I'm probably going to do that for this show I think my solo album that I made that you did the mastering for is a very good album. I don't think it's mm-hmm. the best I'm going to write in my life, but I think it's a great start to making good albums. So it would please me if I got a going to get better, but we see the promise, but still better than anything you've done award. But that's that's very weird award to win. <laughs> um, and I think that the science fiction novel that I wrote is... Also, like when I wrote that science fiction novel, I had a similar feeling at the end of it to how I feel about getting better acquainted. I don't care if this becomes successful. I know that I've done something good. And I'll always have that knowledge that I wrote something that I think is very good. And it got, Mm. it did get some favourable responses from publishers. The kind of favourable responses that are really like this, but we can't publish it because it won't sell. Which is nice, but annoying but nice what award would I like to win I think I'd really like to win an Oscar (laughs) just because it would be cool to stand up in the middle of all of that nonsense and just I don't know just I don't know it'd be an experience I mean if you're going to go for an award you should probably go for the most award like award like the top of the game Mm. And I think that would be the ultimate award ceremony experience. I've been to a few award ceremonies. I find them very difficult and weird. But 
I, I do do think it's good to try and have weird and difficult experiences as a writer. So an Oscar would be quite cool. What about a knighthood? No, I would I would I would say no to a knighthood. Um, what about an OBE? No, I'd say no to anything that's given to me by 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 the monarchy. And I'm not going to really. I don't. I can't even conceive of what quality about me is worthy of winning an award. But just at the end of all of this nonsense about awards. I don't really aspire to win awards. To me, an award is only a stepping stone towards an audience. The audience is what I want to win. And I don't even want to win them. I want to communicate with them. I'm not that interested in awards. As flattering as occasionally being nominated for awards and failing to win them is. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't really care. Fair play. What's the biggest thing you've learned from me? That something being true isn't enough. You need to frame it in a way that will allow people to see that it's true. Okay. Like, it's not enough to just pour your heart out onto a page and call it a poem. It's not enough to just pour your soul out into a song. You have to make a framework that it highlights what's important about what you're trying to say rather than just splurges out the thing okay took me a while to learn it off you but I did I think in the end yeah you did. well it took me ages to learn that myself I think you probably learned it simultaneously really uh, but it's like that thing where you said that you've been saying it all the time and I'm like yeah but now I kind of understand it it's the same thing like you were saying it all the time I wasn't uh -huh, okay like I was very much of the kind of if it's real it's you know if it's real then it's real you know that that problem that so many artists begin with which I think is probably possibly to do with the way that we frame art within society and what we say is valuable about art and what is actually valuable about art are kind of different. And so when you're making art, you you think you have a false image of, like you, you see Nirvana and you think that that just means that you can say about your, what's miserable about your life and that'll be a good song. Well, that's not what Nirvana did. Nirvana took really hard things and made them really accessible. I used to think that accessibility was was innate in truth, but actually you have to find a way of of making that truth accessible to an audience. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not that you always pushed art towards that area in actually making it, but you do espouse that philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you worry that the Dave Pickering DNA stroke genes will not pass into the future of human evolution? No. Why not? I don't really see my genes as being that worth it I think I could make the best with my life but I don't think that that means if I had children that they would be they'd, they'd be fighting the same battles as me I don't want to see them fighting the same battles as me it's hard enough for me fighting my own fucking battles and I don't see myself as being that valuable to society and culture and the even world. though you so are quite see... public spirited 
generally all-round good guy and talented. Well, that's nice of you to say those nice things about me. And I, I do take them, you know, as warmly because they're a compliment and all that. I don't think I'm that special in that regard. I think there's lots of, like I said, lots of talented people, lots of public-spirited people. It's the cultural system that means that they're not the ones who are pushing things in the right direction. There's other people in the wrong... And, you know, even if they are, then they can't do anything because they are hamstrung by the system around them. I mean... Really, when we're talking about the future of humanity, I don't see much of it in some ways. I, I, I think we're running out of oil, we're, we're very overly consuming, we're messing things up in really significant ways. Do I want my DNA to have to deal with not only their fighting against their own inner demons, but also fighting against an increasingly worse and worse outer demon kind of world? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that to some body with my G. I find it hard enough to cope with the fact that my nieces and, and, and nephew are going to have to live in the future. Uh, I don't really want even closer connection to having to live in the future. And you know, I you can't predict these things as well. Lovely people have terrible children. Terrible people have lovely children. I don't think I'm lovely or terrible, but I can't predict what what my kids would be. You know. I don't worry about it, certainly. I think you're quite lovely. Well, thanks. I, I don't. I, I mean, there's no, there's never a sense of. I don't see, you know, I just don't see it. Don't see why I would, why that would be a thing to worry about. I get that people, a few, you know, you're not the only person who's suggested that kind of thing. My friend Clive always says, you know, it's the responsibility of, <laughs> in his view, good people. So I guess he considers me to be a good person to have children, so that more good genes are about rather than bad but people grossly overestimate the quality of my genes and uh, underestimate the quality of other people's genes I think mm -hmm. okay Fair. what is your greatest fear when I was a kid it was not being like death but you know we know afterlife but I'm pretty cool with that now I get very claustrophobic in crowds, that freaks me out a lot, and uh, not being able to have control over my own personal space, that is, that is something that is a great fear to me. I guess the people who I love, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, the people I love being hurt, that is my greatest fear. And, you know, I'm one of the people I love, so, but, it, you know, it happens anyway, regardless. Last question. Yeah. Is everything going to be okay? In what respect? In any, every respect. No. No. I don't think so. I mean, there has never been a time in history and there has never been a person, an individual in history, for whom everything has been okay. There's never been a time when everything's been okay. There's never been a person that's ever experienced okayness the whole of their life. It just is not realistic. It's possible for things to be better than they are. It's likely that they'll become much worse. You have moments of okayness. You have times of okayness. I'm in a time in my life at the moment where things are pretty okay, yeah. It's not a right, it's not a given, it's not a definite, that, that there is never a moment when things couldn't become drastically worse and there is never a moment when things couldn't become drastically better.
generally my analysis of the world is that no things are not going to become okay but I could easily be proved wrong and I wouldn't be surprised alright and do you have anything you wish to plug yeah loads of things I make music under the name The Dave uh, that's solo music you can find that on SoundCloud soundcloud.com forward slash the hyphen Dave I make music as the plural with my mate Jack we do one song in a day each month of this year 2011 and that's at soundcloud.com forward slash the hyphen plural I think if you don't find it the first time just take the hyphen out for all of these uh, I do I've got a pop duo that I do with a friend of mine called Haley called the reactionaries um, our album is out online for free on soundcloud forward slash the reactionaries possibly with a hyphen and we're making a second album sometime soon going to be produced by a great friend of mine called George who had a lot to do with producing the first album as well he's really excellent people should aspire to work with him he did a getting better acquainted I did a drama series called Numbers which is still available on rethinkdaily.co.uk the second series of that that's I'm very proud of that and that was nominated for an award the best internet program award you should check that out it's about heaven being a call center well purgatory being at a call center obviously I would plug this but if you're listening to this that you don't need it plugged I'm hoping to set up a kind of variety night called stand-up tragedy that I will be doing regularly hopefully if that happens if that's happened check that out nearly everybody that comes on getting better acquainted who makes art music or whatever if they're on this show I probably think they're worth checking out I'm not thoroughly endorsing all of them completely but they're worth checking out particularly Alex you should check out any music that you can of his which you can't because he hasn't got any of it online <laughs> I've got a DJ mixtape online check that out if you like I've got I've got some problems with it but yeah I mean you know check it out why not where did you find that the man amp soundcloud okay I mean yeah I, I know a lot of talented people some of them I think are absolutely amazing and they're they're on this series the ones who I don't think are absolutely amazing I certainly think I know less valid or or more valid than any other artists and you should check them out why not check out some people who aren't successful for a change Maybe that'll make them successful. Check me out. In fact, Any go to... political causes to endorse? Fuck them. I haven't even finished plugging my personal stuff yet. If you go to goosefat101.blogspot.com, that is like a online business card that will take you to all of my projects. And so past and uh, present projects are all available there. Have a look through that. Check that out if you're listening to this and you don't know me you might be interested in those things political causes I like UK Uncut I like what they're doing I like the idea of the people's supermarket I really, really recommend the book Don't Shoot the Clowns by Joe Wilding which I think is uh, a great book about making art that can engage with political problems and try and help human beings to have greater love and empathy for each other which I know makes me sound like a hippie when I say that but I don't give a shit <laughs> um, 
The Dispossessed by Ursula Le Guin is an excellent novel. You should read that. Alex turned me on to that. Viva Vendetta by Alan Moore is a great graphic mm. novel. Alex didn't turn me on to that, but he did turn me on to Alan Moore. Both of those books are pretty much sum up how I feel politically about the world. So if you wanna if you wanna read them, why not? Orinks and Crake by Margaret Atwood as well. I would also endorse for similar reasons. Oh, and you should go to www.jadamthwaite.co.uk. But that's Jen, my girlfriend's writing. She is absolutely excellent. She's writing such a good novel at the moment, which I really want to read all of, but she hasn't finished it yet. So I am waiting semi-patiently and semi-hasslingly for this. Those are the things I would plug. And just generally, because people do this general thing, I didn't ever expect them to do this with plugs, but it started and now I encourage it. Honesty, truth, empathy are the things that I think will help us all to get through life better. And so, I just, I'm just saying for me, that's how I feel. Don't, you know, whatever you want to do in your lives, whatever. But I mean, for me, those things help. And I, I, I suggest considering doing them more, but I don't really like the idea of telling people to do them more. So they can do them if they want, but they should, but they shouldn't, you know, like that. Just as a slight addendum to that, I recommend that anyone should go out and research psychopathy for uh, reasons of understanding uh, the the twats in this world. I think it's it would be a good thing to look at. I think everyone should. Okay. Psychopathy, the study of psychopaths. There's a book about that by John Ronson called The Psychopath Test. Ah, yeah, my, 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 Check that, that out. Yeah, why not? I haven't read it. I like no. John Ronson. He's, he's someone I, I, I like. And, you know, Podcasts in general, there's loads and loads of really good podcasts out there. It's a time when the gatekeepers are not there yet. So you can hear stuff before they get involved. So have a listen now before it becomes really commercial. And on that note, it's been get a pleasure being getting <laughs> it's a pleasure being being getting kind of a speech. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you, Dave. And, wow, uh, handshake. <laughs> you too, Alex. And it's that's been it from this uh, special edition of Getting Better Acquainted. Well, it's been a real pleasure being on the other side and not having to have headphones on and being asked loads of questions about me. <laughs> Which, is, I don't know, people would probably fast forward this one. <laughs> Alright, see you later. Bye. Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at UBA Podcast you can find it on Facebook it's Getting Better Acquainted have a search on Facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk
You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.